0: It's December the 27th, 2020. You're listening to Class with Dr. Fryer with me, Wes Fryer. Boy, I have not published anything here in a while. In fact, I don't think I've published anything since August, the start of school. Um, This is kind of an experimental channel. One of the things that's cool about this, since it's an anchor channel, is it should be accessible from a smart speaker. I'm not positive that my main Speed of Creativity channel is, and I've been remiss in publishing there for a while as well, but I just thought I would go ahead and publish the audio today from our Sunday school class, and I have been uh, teaching now, this is the second year, a adult Sunday school class at our church called um, Curiosity and Questions, Jesus and Science, and we have been um, Setting a wonderful book called 2084 that is about artificial intelligence and the future. Uh, but last Sunday and this Sunday, we basically took a little detour because of a current event to talk a little bit about the Bethlehem Star and the science behind the Bethlehem Star. So this was the second of two parts, and I entitled this one Faith and Questioning the Bethlehem Star. Our verses that we read were from Genesis 15, 1 through 6. And then we also read last Sunday and read a little bit of this Sunday the story of the Magi, and the birth of Christ from Matthew chapter 2. So if you're interested in accessing these slides and uh, any of the other recorded classes, which I have not been publishing here on Anchor but are all available on YouTube, you can access my website, Follow Jesus westfrier.com. you can also go to my youtube channel which has a lot of things but it does have a playlist on the front page for these class recordings and you can do that by just going to youtube.com wfryer so without further ado here is our sunday school lesson from today on sunday december 7th 2020 i hope you've had a very merry christmas a safe and joy-filled holiday Good morning, everyone, and Merry Christmas. Today's December the 27th, 2020, and I just think it's wonderful we can gather together like this from our homes and, and even keep going. I mean, some years <clears throat> teaching Sunday school, it, it really does feel nice to have a break, and you're like, oh, but because of, I don't know, everything that's happened with COVID and just much less opportunity to see people, I just am joyful to be able to see you all and hear your voices and then have a chance to open up God's word together. So we are going to open up God's word, of course, to Genesis 15 and read the first six verses today. And we're going to be having the second part of what we started last week, which was taking a look at the Bethlehem star and a little bit of the science of the Bethlehem star. And I am hopeful that I'll be able to play for you about a six minute video clip by an author who wrote a book about this, and um, we'll uh, hopefully be able to get a little bit more into uh, some of the debate that has, has surrounded the science of the Bethlehem star, but we can also think about today, actually, um, sort of how we navigate questioning and faith, and, and the verses from Genesis 15 are, are, you know, God speaking to Abraham, um, for, the, for his promises, uh, which involved Abraham looking up at the stars and not being able to count them because those were, you know, his his descendants would be more numerous than the stars. So, um, we're going to uh, have our have our big question, which I've already kind of previewed for you a little bit. <clears throat> I don't have a lot of announcements today. We don't have a lot at the church yet, uh, but I do have some pictures of our Christmas Eve service, which we attended virtually, and uh, there were folks in in person there as well. Uh, We'll open up with prayer, and then read from Genesis 15, and then uh, continue a little bit with our Bethlehem Star lesson, and then joys and concerns. So here is the big question today, and this was actually inspired by the uh, Pray As You Go uh, meditation for this weekend, and uh, I really, this resonated with me, because I think our class, as we were called, curiosity and questions, Jesus and science. And we have, you know, questions, we, we are curious, but as people of faith and as followers of Jesus Christ and believers in God, you know, we, we, we know we are called to have faith and that, you know, part of what faith means is not not completely understanding, but choosing to trust, and so that's the big question that I'll ask us to, to discuss together a little bit at the end is, you know, how, how do you, how do we strike this balance in our own hearts between, you know, trusting and questioning, and it doesn't just have to be thinking of the Bethlehem star or, you know, the the, the, the Christmas story. I mean, think about COVID. There's so many questions that people have about why, why are we doing, why is this happening, Lord? Uh, where is God in, in the pandemic? Um, and so, choosing to trust God and to have faith in God and in God's goodness, you know, irrespective of, of whatever the circumstances of our life may be, uh, is, is really important. But at the same time, and I really do believe this strongly, you know, God, God encourages us to bring all of ourselves to the, his worship and to life in terms of the way in which we, we behold his creation and, and we understand and we have a, a greater window into the world that he's created. And, you know, asking questions is not blasphemy. Uh, there is a line at which blasphemy occurs, But, you know, asking questions and actually doubting, I mean, there's so much of that throughout the Bible, and God invites us to bring our questions, but ultimately we learn, you know, that we're not going to be able, like Job, to understand it all, we're not going to be able to apprehend it all, but uh, it's certainly my belief that as we continue to learn more about God and consider the ways in which science gives us this window into the, the universe Uh, our reverence for God and and our awe for him and our worship for him can be deepened, you know, rather than, than getting smaller, which is how some people will see that. So I just got a few pictures off of the church's Facebook page for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, We, we did go and pick up our little uh, box with candles and, and supplies. And it was really lovely to be able to attend the service. I know that candlelit services, for me, I think, tend to be some of the most memorable. Uh, maybe it's in part because sometimes I'll take a picture, you know, of our family as we, we hold our candles aloft. I also think that, you know, children's sermons, for me, are many times the best sermons, and part of that is because a good children's sermon will usually have something concrete that is right there that you see. And the person giving the sermon makes this connection to God and to Jesus and to to God's word. And the, the, the candle uh, that is, uh, you know, there in, in the center of the advent wreath uh, representing the Christ candle. And then the symbolism of the pastor, you know, taking, taking his or her candle, lighting it, and then passing that light to the congregation, um, it's just a really, really, you know, powerful and memorable thing. It just, um, you know, personifies the way in which we're called to share Jesus's light. There's, there's a lot of, of uh, sort of sermon illustrations you can get from that because, you know, we don't get that light from inside us. We have to get it from Jesus, and and what we do is we share that light, and so I think probably, the sanctuary, as it had, you know, some folks there in person, uh, but the the lit candles, it was darker, you know, than it than it maybe ever has been since our churches had Christmas Eve services, and I think that's probably a little symbolic of the pandemic and the way in which many of us have felt and maybe even still do feel, you know, this foreboding and this darkness, and and we're challenged. In, in the joy and the hope that we have because of the circumstances that we find ourselves in. Uh, but that's one of the most important things we're reminded of uh, at church and, and reading scripture is that our hope and our joy is, is not circumstantial. It's not something that just happens at Christmas time or we have to go to this one place or we even have to do physical things. We have, you know, rituals and and we have um, things that we do in our service that remind us, but that light of God, that light of Jesus, you know, shines in the darkness and has not been overcome and will not be overcome. You know, God, God wins. And that's such good news. Um, it was great to to, uh, to, to sing the, the hymns and to uh, really still be connected. And I think it's just, I don't know for you, but it's been continues to be uh, both a weird but also a blessed experience to be connected to our church family through this this pandemic um, I have set foot in the church a couple times I went to a meeting in December uh, with some of the staff talking about the information system that we've transitioned to and then uh, you know I picked up our, our box of candles but there's really it hasn't been a lot of physical I'm in the building. You know, there's been this weekly connection, and I think that, you know, in in the midst of all that we've had happen, um, this reminder that <laughs> the church is not the building, you know, I, I think that um, this has been a big, a big reminder of that. <clears throat> so again, I'm thankful for all the ways that our church is continuing to make connections and to be able to to share God's Word and encourage us to be opening um, our Bibles. Um, I mentioned before we started that uh, one of our good dear friends, one of Alexander's classmates, and we've known him for years, Fu, got to join us for Christmas and actually for several days. And so uh, this was a little picture that we took on Christmas Eve after we had uh, celebrated and lifted our candles and sung sung Silent Night. And uh, we <clears throat> have our our one year old dog Moose, who's still here's asleep over here behind me, um, who's now one and still a puppy, uh, just in a bigger suit than he was a year ago when he was you know ba- you know barely but uh, you know six weeks eight weeks old I guess maybe uh, when we when we took that that picture. Um, so let's open up with a word of prayer, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day and we thank you for the chance to gather together in your name. Lord, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your son, Jesus, and for this Christmas time that you give us each year when we have the opportunity in Advent to wait and to await the arrival um, of your son. But God, the reminder that we have, not just of Jesus's birth, but of his life, of his, his death on the cross and his, his resurrection, Um, After the third day, Uh, God, we just celebrate and thank you for all of the gifts and we just pray God you would walk with us walk with each one of us as um, we are in a dark time we're in a dark winter there is a lot of suffering Lord there is death. Um, and there, there are things happening in this world, um, as there always are, but it's maybe more evident in some ways that we just don't understand. And so, God, I pray that you would speak to us this day as we open your Word, share uh, with us through your Holy Spirit the message that you've prepared in advance for us, and help us to fully grasp as much as we can, God, with our human minds, um, your truth and your um, your guidance, uh, your direction for our lives that you have for us this day. It's in your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so uh, I want to open up to Genesis. We've been reading multiple scripture from Genesis. Um, We were reading from Matthew 2, and I'm going to reference the the Matthew 2 story of the Magi again today as well. Um, But I want to open up to the first six verses of Genesis, and I'll just read from the NIV this time. Oh, actually, I'm not. I I have them both in here because it's short. It's a little shorter. Uh, And what I'm going to ask you after this is, you know, what, advance on, Um, how does this, how does, how do these verses, Genesis 15, one through six, how does this speak to the the idea of faith and, and questioning and how we balance those things? All right. So this is the NIV, Genesis 15, the first six verses. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram. In a vision, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless, and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abram believed the Lord and he credited to him as righteousness. A very key verse there, number six. All right, so here's the message. And obviously one of the things I'm drawing out of here is no fear, that's a little icon there on the side. After all these things, This word of God came to Abram in a vision. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield. Your reward will be grand. Abram said, God, master, what use are your gifts as long as I'm childless? And Eliezer of Damascus is going to inherit everything. Abram continued, see, you've given me no children. And now a mere house servant is going to get it all. Then God's message came don't worry. He won't be your heir. A son from your body will be your heir. Then he took him outside and said, look at the sky. Count the stars. Can you do it? Count your descendants. You're going to have a big family, Abram. And he believed, believed God. God declared him set right with God. So what do you all think? How how do these verses from Genesis 15 speak to, speak to faith and questioning, because it's certainly there in in both verses. And I'm going to, I'm going to turn off our recording here for a second, or I'll pause it. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit about the Bethlehem Star. Um, This is a picture that was taken by a friend of mine here in Oklahoma City, uh, Shannon Force. He recently got a telescope. And of course, this reminds me of last year When we went to the Roberts house and Rick had his, you know, 12 inch telescope out there in the back and we were looking up at at Jupiter and those are the Galilean moons. That is so cool that we can see that. Consider that Galileo uh, is believed to have first seen those in December of 1609 or maybe it was January of, of, of 1610. And then he recognized them a couple months later, or I guess wrote, must have written that in a journal or something, um, as satellites of Jupiter You know, in, in March of 1610. Um, we can't see, of course, the ring of Saturn. Saturn is the, the orb there that's above. But I mean, it's bigger, right? Like it looks elliptical. It looks like an oval. Hmm, why is that? Well, it's because there are all of these. Objects that are, you know, floating around in these rings that, that are around Saturn, and um, with a strong enough telescope, you you can, of course, see the rings of Saturn. Um, you know that that define it as such a, a unique planet in our solar system. And one of the reasons why I think it is important to watch our words and to be careful when we are making scientific claims about um, uh, the, the intersection of the Bible and history and faith is I personally, as I've done this research, I think that if people call what just happened last week on the solstice, the Bethlehem star, that might be kind of easy for them to dismiss the reality of what occurred and what Matthew documented, which was an incredible celestial event. Uh, that was very different than anything that had ever happened before, or has, or has happened since. The kinds of things that that astronomer astrologers, I guess we could say, but also astronomers, um, you know, have tracked in the heavens as far as the conjunctions of the planets. Those are very predictable things uh, to astronomers, to those who have have tracked the the travelers as some. And I guess I still need to look this up if it was the Greeks. But anyway, that's that's a word for historically for the planets is, you know, they're different from these, these other stars. They're the travelers because they travel around amidst the rest of the stars. And, and folks early on in the history of, of the human race, you know, recognize that. And it was an amazing celestial event and a beautiful uh, celestial event, which is not going to occur for a long, long time again. But... I think that it's, it's not appropriate to call that the Bethlehem star when we can apply our scientific knowledge today of what we know of the universe and our solar system and the ways that our solar system interacts with, with, with um, heavenly bodies that are outside the solar system. Um, you know, it's, we, 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 we should read the, the scriptures carefully and we, we, should, we should pick our words carefully. I shared this last week as just kind of an overview. Why discuss this? Well, you know, the story in Matthew of uh, the coming of the Magi is one of the most favorite uh, and beloved, you know, stories of of Christmas. Um, It's one of the things that is acted out, you know, every year. In addition to shepherds, you have the wise men. Um, Theologically, this history is really important because of 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 all of the pieces that fit together here because there are prophetic things that happened which were fulfilled in this story. And there are important um, things that we need to understand about Jesus and his character and about God that we draw from from this story. Um, This is the Jesus in science class, right? So I, I think it's really appropriate to take some different questions, especially when they kind of come up in current events, which is this is that's what happened this year with the conjunction of Saturn and and Jupiter. Um, and, and incidentally, if if I don't mention this or we don't hear this in the video clip I'm going to play, um, the theory which this 2007 DVD I'm going to mention and then others have have advanced uh, actually wasn't a confluence of Saturn and Jupiter. It was it was a confluence of Venus and Jupiter. So. Two, the, the two brightest planets usually in, in our sky are, are Jupiter, the largest of the planets in our solar system, and then Venus, the, the closest and the brightest. Um, I've mentioned this before, that really the extent of our scientific knowledge, our theories, it really can, and I feel like should, expand rather than diminish the awe and reverence we feel for God. And I just love astronomy. Um, it, is, it is fun. It is something that I personally know I don't do enough of in terms of just going out and and having awe for God's creation. And then there's this point that I'm going to talk a little bit more about uh, this week. We need to be careful when we decide which voices to listen to and to believe, uh, especially when we just go out on the web, you know, as many people do, uh, to try to find, you know, truth or to try to find answers. So as we consider the Star of Bethlehem, the the clip that I'm going to share with you, that's about six minutes long, Um, is going to focus on number three the scientific explanation and as I talked about last week spoiler alert comet you know probably not something that was gradual and tracked over time and predictable with the convergence of two planets but something that was persistent that remained in the sky for months and months that rose I mean a comet is what scientifically we we understand fits that um and and a supernova could be another explanation but we don't have the remnant the visible remnant of that um as as we'll hear in the the video clip but in addition to that science we do need to really think about the significance of this bethlehem star and what it meant and then our responses to it and i think that's a real powerful way to read matthew 2 as well is um you know what 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 Were the responses of the people living at the time, and what are our responses today to to Jesus, to to his arrival, to his life, to his death, to his resurrection? Um, So the the story of the Magi and the birth of Jesus in Matthew 2 contains a lot more uh, than just the star, okay? Uh, And and a lot of things that are very historical and important. Uh, Just consider the response of King Herod. Uh, who is a historical figure? We probably know him more and recognize him more because of this story and because of the way he responded. But you know, he had a two-part plan that we learn about in Matthew 2 to kill Jesus, the rival for for you know, the, the title of you know, king of, of the world, the prophesied Messiah of the world. When the Magi showed up, you know, in 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 um In the Holy Land, that's when Herod, you know, learned about him and where he was prophesied to be born. And so he asked the magi to come back and tell him the location of Jesus. He said so that he could worship him, but the reason was so he could kill him. And Herod was evidently a very superstitious person, and this, um, you know, the rising of the star may or may not have alerted him, but certainly the arrival of the Magi did. Uh and so it wasn't just this relying on them coming back to tell him. He went ahead and he executed this incredibly bloodthirsty and incredibly harsh um plan to kill every child who was in that region of Bethlehem who was under the age of two. Um, it's also important to note the ways that God spoke to his people in dreams. When we say his people, sometimes in the Old Testament, we're talking about the Israelites. Well, the Magi weren't actually Israelites, right? They were from the east, maybe from Iraq, maybe from Iran. They were, they were astronomers, they were astrologers, uh, and God spoke to them, and God also spoke to Joseph multiple times so that God's prophecy and god's plan would be fulfilled and would be carried out so i'm not going to read reread as we did last week the entire matthew 2 this is the niv version but i have put in in some boxes here a couple sections uh verse 7 then herod called the magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared now this is important because if this was a planetary conjunction We wouldn't have this sudden appearance, this exact time that could be identified. It would be like we saw this last week where these these two planets are getting closer and closer together. And then, oh, wow, look, they're only a few arc seconds apart or whatever. To the human eye, they're one, you know. But that is an important verse. Um, And then this was part one of his plan to kill the Messiah, uh, verse 8. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go worship him. Well, one of the things this also points out is, like, it apparently wasn't easy to find Jesus, because if it was, then Herod probably would have just sent somebody else to go find him. Like, it it wasn't, I think we have this idea that everybody at the time of Jesus's birth and the Bethlehem star, like, everybody saw, everybody recognized, but but that wasn't the case. I mean, the shepherds did, and the wise men did, but... But everybody didn't, and these verses help us understand that uh, it, it, it required people who were, um, who were led by God in order to discover the Christ child. And it wasn't, that wasn't something that Herod was able to do independently. The second part I highlight here on verse 13 is, <clears throat> when they had gone meaning the Magi had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. And this is what we read in verse 16, that Herod was furious. He gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Again, the time that this, star had appeared um, and all of this history and what happened and then also the death of, of Herod because we read in verse 19 after Herod died an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph and said get up take the child and his mother go to the land of Israel for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead historically we understand that Herod was stricken with a, a horrible and very painful uh, illness and and he died and the timing of that and where you place that historically is important in terms of the astronomical record, because we can go back in, in time and, and flip back and, and, you know, with our little apps and, and, and scientists that have even, you know, more powerful astronomical tools than, you know, the night sky app that I have here on my phone, you can you can turn back the clock to 1, you know, 1 AD or 4, four AD. And so, Where you place Herod in all of this history is pretty important um, in terms of establishing, you know, what may or may not have happened um, in the sky or how to explain what happened in the sky. Okay, so last week I just googled when... When does the Bible talk about the star of Bethlehem? I don't know if you you do this with Google. Um, it's really powerful to be able to ask these kinds of questions. We have to remember that people have written these algorithms, you know, to favor, you know, certain kinds of results. And I want to remind us all that we need to be careful, thoughtful, and wary as we seek wisdom in the world. I'm not just saying in, in Google, right? Anywhere in the world you know, the wisdom which we seek and which we believe as Christians does not originate in the world. It originates with God. Um, And so we have to be careful. But there are a lot of benefits to, you know, kind of seeing, hey, what what does Google say? And and typically, how many search result pages do people look at? Do you and I look at? Probably the first one, you know, maybe the second one. Uh, It's kind of amazing that the power of this, one of the things which you will find and by a show of hands had anybody heard of this 2007 dvd before star of bethlehem um before i mentioned it evidently there's some churches that have you know had this as uh, something that they've all seen before and kind of had events for uh this fellow Stephen uh mick McEve- Mc- McEve- i haven't said his name before McEvity. Uh, hey, he produced the Passion of the Christ. Okay. Uh, we had church events around the Passion of the Christ. Fantastic, powerful, um, theatrical presentation of the final weeks of Jesus' life and his resurrection. I would call this a well intentioned but misinformed documentary. And I really believe that it's important for us as people of faith um, to be savvy and thoughtful seekers of God's truth. That's part of what we're doing in this class, I hope, is we are considering things that scientists and, and others are discovering and, and theorizing and, and publishing and, and the things that are, you know, scientific consensus and then we're thinking about how how do those things inform, and, and I think in many cases, you know, deepen our faith and our understanding of what God has done. So one of the things that has been a great resource, and I've used this quite a bit, is this open Bible website. And so you can have different phrases that you can put in. What does the Bible say about the Star of Bethlehem? And there are all these different references, not only in Matthew 2, but in Numbers 24, you know, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheph. Not only a reference there to we would understand today Jesus, but also from to Revelation to, from, from the birth of Jesus, as far as the star coming out of Jacob, but also the ultimate defeat of Satan. Um, you know, Micah referencing Bethlehem as as the birthplace. So. Excellent, excellent resource and great to be able to uh, find those kinds of, of biblical references. Here's where it gets a little more tricky. Okay. So here's one of the first page Google results from that. Um, and it's from a website called Learn Religions. What was the Christmas Star of Bethlehem? Was it a miracle or a fable? Was it the North Star? And so some of the questions that we need to be asking ourselves, and this doesn't actually just pertain to theological you know, questions about the Bible or biblical history. This is like kind of anything. Who wrote this? Okay, who, who is the author? And then what is their viewpoint or bias? Does the, the website have it acknowledged bias? For our purposes today, in terms of thinking of, of this and the intersections with our Christian faith, you know, is this a Christian perspective? And, and if it is a Christian perspective, is this theologically sound? Because there's a lot of things that have been said throughout history and continue to be said today in the name of Christianity, uh, and and some of it is heresy, right? There there are Gnostic um, beliefs, Gnostic um, perspectives that that are shared in many cases in, in a in a shrouded in a shroud of Christianity, you know, where where in terms of Gnosticism. Uh, what people end up saying is that, you know, you have the light in you, and you can discover the light yourself. It can be very new agey. We need to be careful that that we have theologically sound um, perspectives and and beliefs that are undergirding it, and this can be challenging. So one of the websites that um, also came up in here was called Answers in Genesis, Uh, and there's an article, and so looking at the bio of who wrote, you know, this, the, the, wrote the article is, is one thing, one layer of, of checking this out. Uh, Danny Faulkner uh, studied physics at Clemson, has a PhD in astronomy, uh, and he serves as the editor of, a, of the Creation Research Science Quarterly. He's published over a hundred papers. Um, so he was an author. And one of the things that he pointed out, so I kind of established his credibility, was that the fella who made this DVD in 2007 uh, is an attorney, all right? And he used his desktop software. Remember, the iPhone came out in 2007, so he didn't have an iPhone yet or a smartphone. Um, or maybe he did, but it was like a, a Trio or a Palm. You remember those? <laughs> they didn't have astron- astronomy uh, software at the time. He used the Starry Night software to see what the night sky might have been, look, looked like to an observer in the Middle East about the time of the birth of Jesus. Now, I think that is really cool. I think that is a a, you know, a neat thing to be able to do But when it comes to who, how we are going to perceive and understand the the Star of Bethlehem and the scientific overlay we're going to have with that, um, an attorney who's using desktop software is not going to be the best person to turn to for those kinds of astronomical uh, issues and, and questions. And so he also points out in this article that the death of Herod is really important and what um, the um, Larson, who's the producer of this video, did, is he had to move Herod's death all the way up to 1 BC, you know, because the triple conjunction uh, of stars, um, which in this case, I guess there was a conjunction of Jupiter and Saturn. People have talked about Jupiter and Venus, Jupiter and Saturn. They have to rule that out in terms of it, of it happening. Here is the best source, and this is what I'm going to play a little video from you, because this book is actually out of print. Um, But this is another resource that I found and and read quite a bit about. And this was an article published by Colin Nichol, who taught at the University of Cambridge, uh, was a professor at the Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary. And he's written several books, including From Hope to Despair in Thessalonica, and then the book that's relevant to our discussion here, uh, The Great Christ Comet. And so he wrote this article, but he has a whole book And then I found a video of a lecture he gave two years ago in 2018 talking about this. And this article is called What is Wrong with Rick Larson's Star of Bethlehem DVD documentary. And so um, this is his book. It was published five years ago in 2015. It's called The Great Christ Comet Revealing the True Star of Bethlehem by Colin R. Nickel. And um, I have a link, and I actually emailed this to you all this morning. If you want to see the whole thing, this is about a 36-minute lecture that he gave at uh, Trinity International University. And what I want to share with you is a little piece of this. So I'm going to share six minutes. And uh, the question is, uh, what about the science of the Star of Bethlehem? And so if I'm going to have to do a couple changes here let me i haven't played a video in a while so let me turn on when i've I've been doing a a, so this is going to the link here is going to take us out to a little website maybe called Vibby, and here's the clip all right and give me a thumbs up if you can
1: hear this well we've looked at the story of the star We've looked at the significance of the star. And finally, since the star was celestial in nature, we also have to look at the science, I think, of the star. What precisely was it? Matthew gives us plenty of information about the star, more than enough for us to identify what it was. I want you to see first that Matthew gives clear indications that the star was a real astronomical body. The Greek word star indicates that. It can be used of a star, a planet, a comet, or a meteor. As we've already mentioned, the word rising itself implies that an astronomical body is in view. And that the Magi were record keeping astronomers who were able to tell Herod the precise date when the star first appeared, that confirms that. There's no basis for believing the star was anything other than a real astronomical phenomenon. That is God acting in his capacity as the Lord of the heavens and the creator of the earth had the heavens signal the dawn of salvation. So what then is the star? What astronomical body matches the description? It appears, it remains observable for over a year, It has a meaningful and dramatic rising in the Eastern sky. And then within a couple of months of that, it's shining in the Southern sky to guide the Magi to Bethlehem. And then finally, later that night, standing over one particular house to reveal the location of the Messiah. Needless to say, many hypotheses and theories have been put forward. Some of you will be familiar with the DVD documentary by Rick Larson, a US attorney. Uh, who claims that the planet Jupiter in various conjunctions it was having with Venus in the years three to two BC, that that was the star of Bethlehem. Unfortunately, uh, it actually is a very, very flawed view. Uh, For one thing, Jupiter, whose movements were entirely predictable in the first century BC, cannot have a first appearance. And in the years three to two BC, when he says everything's happening, it did not have a rising. And moreover, the date which uh, Larson's forced to go to uh, for Herod's death is 1 BC, but that is almost certainly not when Herod died. He died in the spring of 4 BC. So there are many problems and many others besides those I've just mentioned. What about the supernova view that was favored by the previous Pope? This idea that there's a super bright exploding star which uh, coincides with Jesus' birth. The problem is we would have remnants of that a nebula. Uh, from around that time if that was the case, and we don't. Besides, no ordinary fixed entity, whether a star or a supernova, could pull off what the star did, and that is moving from the eastern morning sky to the southern evening sky within the course of a couple of months. If you take Matthew's account seriously, there is only one plausible candidate for the star of Bethlehem, and that is a comet. It's the only candidate that fits what Matthew says, what the church father Ignatius says, what the other early Christians in the first two centuries said, and Origen in the third century explicitly states that the star was a comet. But what are comets? Without going into it, too much comets are simply icy dirtballs or dirty snowballs, really, really dirty snowballs, that travel around the sun in very long, elongated oval orbits. And as these, 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 uh, these bodies, which are full of these chemicals that are very reactive, as they get closer and closer to the sun, they begin to react more and more to the sun's presence and they, they blast off fountains of dust and gas, which end up making these very small, insignificant little uh, snowballs look majestic and bright. They can become the brightest thing in the night sky, the longest and biggest things in the night sky. They can become brighter even than the full moon. And for the ancients, comets were completely unpredictable. They understood almost nothing about them, when they would appear, when, where they would move, when they would rise, when they would change in brightness or size or form. And interpreting their meaning, well, that was difficult because they didn't stick to the zodiacal constellations which the sun and the moon go through. Uh, so they looked at wh- what they looked like because comets can have all these strange forms. And they looked at where in the sky, what constellation the comets were moving through and how they seemed to be engaging with them. And they looked at the timing of uh, the comet. So what is the evidence that convinced me that the star of Bethlehem genuinely was a comet? Well, I can't go into all of it now. I can only highlight a few. I encourage you to get the book because honestly, it's very exciting. It was a very exciting journey and it's a There's so much stuff uh, that you guys will enjoy. First, only a comet can do what we mentioned earlier, that's move from the eastern morning sky to the southern evening sky within a short time frame. Why? Because it's hurtling through the inner solar system and it's especially fast when it's near the sun. So it's going through all the other stars and therefore can do that. No other body can do that. Second, the sudden appearance of the star and its long visibility for over a year, that can only be one of two entities, a supernova, we've already ruled that one out, or, a great and large comet like comet hale Bob. Hale-Bopp was visible to the naked eye for 18 months. And that's very similar to the star of Bethlehem, obviously. Only a comet, moreover, can do the things, do things that are surprising and extraordinary in connection with a rising. Most risings of astronomical bodies are very unimpressive visually and have no real meaning because they happen predictably. But a comet, you see, because it's coming close to the sun, it's reacting to the sun's presence, it's flaring up, it's becoming large, it's becoming long, and it's becoming extraordinarily bright. That is a big clue, the word rising, as is a first appearance in the one year. Okay,
0: so uh, there is more. And I would encourage you, if you want to check it out, to watch the the entire uh, 36-minute video. Here's what I uh, you know take away that is relevant as far as thinking about this with science. Um, you know we understand that the Bible is not is not a book of science, right? I mean the Bible doesn't talk about dinosaurs. That doesn't change the fact that like there were dinosaurs on the earth. they roamed the earth and we've discovered their fossils. and you know the fact that, that they're not in the Bible doesn't invalidate the truth of the Bible. As we gain greater insight into our world and our universe, I personally think it is incredibly um, exciting and also affirming to see the ways in which God um, can act and does act. The understanding that we have of physics, and I'm not gonna delve super into this now, but we talked about this last year, between classical physics, that is the the Newtonian view of everything predictable, everything has a pattern, to what we understand now with quantum mechanics um, and also other variables we see this in the weather, in our in our inability to exactly predict the weather, um, even, you know, a, a short way out, much less, you know, a long way out. Uh, and then things like comets here. I mean, I, uh, <laughs> there are scientific explanations, and when we say scientific, there are more detailed um, explanations for a lot of the things that we um you know, understand happening historically in, in the biblical record um, and, and the things that we see now in, in the universe can certainly heighten and deepen, I think, our, our, our belief in God and our, our reverence for what he has created. Um, so I personally found this, you know, bit of a, of a rabbit hole and investigation into this to be, you know, pretty exciting in terms and, and certainly much more satisfying than seeing these news articles saying, oh yeah, that's the star of Bethlehem which I kind of think is, is easily dismissed by a lot of people as, oh, well, was, wasn't that silly that they thought this, this confluence of, of uh, a couple stars you know, was something special? No, this really was something special. Uh, and, and we know today a lot more about comets and, and astronomical events that can explain you know, how God did. So this is kind of my summary of conclusions. I, I would say, living as we do in the age of disinformation, as followers of Jesus Christ and believers in God Almighty, we can have faith in the truth of Jesus's miraculous birth, his life, his death on a cross and his resurrection from the dead. As our scientific understanding of our universe expands, our faith in and reverence for God can grow rather than recede. So um, we have a little bit of time. I think I'm going to take us just a tiny bit over the, the start of or the, um, the top of the hour to, to do some joys or concerns. So uh, what I want us to talk about briefly, and we'll just stay together here as we're a small group. How do we strike this balance between trusting and questioning, whether we think about Abraham and, and or I should say Abram before God changed his name. Uh, and then when we think about, you know, questions that we have in, in our own mind about uh, the Bible, perhaps about God, about <laughs> the pandemic, there's a whole lot of things that we question. Um, how do we how do we strike that balance? So I'm going to stop the recording. Thanks for listening to this episode of Class with Dr. Fryer, an eclectic podcast channel filled with different audio recordings of presentations by me, Dr. Wes Fryer, in Oklahoma City. You can access this podcast uh, by either visiting Anchor's website, which is anchor.fm slash d-r-f-r-y-e-r for Dr. Fryer, or you can simply tell your favorite smart speaker, either the Google Home or the Amazon Alexa, Please play me the latest episode of Class with Dr. Fryer. Thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure that you check out the show notes and the links that I have for each episode if you'd like to follow up, and you can always reach out to me either via Twitter. My Twitter handle is at Wfryer, that's W-F-R-Y-E-R, or you can visit my electronic contact form by visiting westfryer.com
1: contact.